Welcome to Hardware Addicts, a proud member of the Tux Digital Network. That's right. Destination Linux Network has changed the Tux Digital Network because we're bringing all kinds of new, exciting technology shows and other things onto the podcast network that we have and YouTube Partner Network. So you want to make sure to go check out all the amazing content on TuxDigital.com. Hardware Addicts is the podcast that focuses on the physical components that power our technology world. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about new storage technology that could change everything for quantum computing and computing in general. Then we're going to head to Camera Corner where Wendy will discuss proper camera maintenance. So sit back, relax, and plug in because Hardware Addicts starts now. I'm Ryan, your tech guide through the universe, and with me today are my two co-hosts, Wendy, a resident photographer extraordinaire and hardware enthusiast, and Michael, the software sage and hardware padawan. Let's find out what tech adventures everyone has had this week. Michael, what have you been up to? Well, I have an update from the previous one we talked about in the last episode and about the launch keyboard from System76, and I talked about how it hadn't arrived yet, and it's kind of funny because about four hours after the episode aired, then it arrived. So they knew. They heard the they, show. They must have. It's yeah. impressive considering it hadn't come out yet. <laughs> Still. But it, it was kind of funny because I was like, yay, we got the episode out. And then all of a sudden, oh, okay. Now we're kind of wrong. It has arrived. And as my typical self, it is still in the box. No, not still. Really? That was two <laughs> weeks ago. It was, it was yeah. two weeks. It's still in the box. Why? <laughs> Michael. Because, Michael, Michael. Uh, okay. Baby steps, people. I uh, no, I opened a few packages quickly. I opened a few packages quickly, and then you can't expect me to always do that. How do you not get a keyboard? Show up at your house and not just need to touch it and feel the clicky keys and mess with it. It's the like, easiest I mean, thing to unbox and set up. Wendy's a hundred percent correct here. How do you not just open the box and plug it in and start using it? It's a keyboard. You don't need to do any special setup or programming or anything. You literally just pull it out and plug it in. Michael. Well, I wanted to film the unboxing, and unfortunately, I didn't have time to do that filming part, so that's what held me back. Does, does that, uh, that You know how much people love to see a box excuses. open. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Box opening is, for some reason, a very popular thing. I mean, there's a channel dedicated to that that's got millions of subscribers, so it's possible that people might want to see that. You never. I know, know our whole audience is on the edge of their seats. Like, what does the box look like, and how does it open? And Michael's like, and I got you. I got and also, you. it's not even. It's not as if Ryan didn't do exactly that already. No, that's it's completely different. It's different, yeah. When Michael does it, the way he opens yeah. the box is just yeah, so unique. Exactly, exactly. I'm gonna have like music playing to it when it opens, and it's gonna have some B-roll and some different. Like zooms and and uh, slow motion and all sorts of stuff. You got to do it properly. Otherwise, it's not really an unboxing. You know what, it's Michael? Like I expect when you release this video that it has all of that crap included now. And our <laughs> listeners will be so disappointed if they click on your video and there's not zooms and music and what did you say? All kinds of crap happening slow motion with the unboxing yeah. yes all of that yeah you're gonna have yeah. to make this extra super special now like the best unboxing yes. ever that's our challenge to you the best unboxing ever challenge accepted nice 
well, listen, you're going to hopefully have a better experience than I did with the launch keyboard. Mine went off to the repair shop because it died, as I talked about in the last episode. And I just got noticed today. So it's been two weeks since the last episode that it is on its way back to me. So hopefully this version of it works, but I hope you have a much better experience than I did. But until you unbox it, you'll never know. So I guess your experience is really good because so far, it'll my never break. The exact same as yours at uh, your unboxing part. Though. It doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, because you haven't plugged it in. All right, Wendy, help us out here. Tell me that you nope. had something you opened that's technology related. No, I haven't opened anything. Well, but I will be opening something, and that is my tablet. I use this tablet all the time, take notes on it. It's back and forth with us to different co-ops and stuff. And the dreaded, it got dropped and the screen is broken thing happened. Now, the worst thing about these kinds of tablets, it's been a long time since I've replaced any glass on one of them, that it's an entire package. You can't just buy the glass. You have to buy the whole thing with the digitizer. And this has got major touch sensitivity because your pen based on the pressure you put on it, it can affect it. You know, it has some awesome drawing apps. So to just replace the screen myself is going to cost right around $90 US. I can't imagine what it would cost to have somebody else do it. So I've got the screen on order. And for the most part, I don't think this will be too bad to get into other than where it's cracked is right around some of those corners. Of course, you know, it can't be in the middle And the only way to get into this particular tablet is to, you know, of course, heat it up. You have to go in through the screen. You can't get to any of the other components unless you remove the screen in the first place. So that part's going to be a little bit mm, tricky. I think I need to go buy me a good heat gun. But otherwise, I've got the rest of the tools. And that's the project on the horizon for me. Very nice. Now, one of the best investments I made, because I have a lot of friends that break their screens and want me to replace them, that my wife volunteers me for, like, oh, my husband could (laughs) fix it, as we know is her thing, uh, is a hot air rework station. And so this is very similar to what you would get in a, like a soldering station in which it's kind of a control box with different settings for the heat and things. And on the side of it, of course, is a hot air gun, allows you to control the temperature perfectly. And this allows you to be able to get that glue so that it softens up enough where you can peel off of the screens without doing extra damage. And one of the problems with a crack screen, of course, is the shards. So a really good pair of tweezers, not the kind that you would get maybe at the grocery store or Walmart, but actually tech tweezers that allow you to get those little pieces out has been super helpful for me as I've replaced these. Although I've done it where you're using like the hot packs and things like that to loosen the glue when I didn't have the fancier equipment, but the fancier equipment makes all the difference in the world when fixing these things. So I heard you say that you were looking at a hot air gun and look at a rework station because that's their sole purpose and you have a lot more control of the heat And the hardest thing for people like me, which I don't think is going to be an issue for you, Wendy, is patience. So I end up turning up the heat because I get bored of waiting for it to soften too much and uh, cause problems that way. But it's a fun project to do. And once you've done a few of them, it starts to get easier as you start to kind of learn they all pretty much work the same. That is an awesome tip. I will start looking into them. I know it's not the last screen I'm going to be placing, so I might as well have the tools on hand to just do it easily. And right. We talked about a camera here a few weeks ago, episode 58. 
The Insta360, it kind of sounds like you've made I bought one. I bought it. I'm jealous. You made me buy one. It's your fault, Wendy. It's completely your fault. You talked this thing up so much and you made it sound so cool that I couldn't help myself and I had to find a reason for it. Well, Michael and me both had to find a reason for it because we both bought one, I think, or Michael will be buying one. We are going to scale. So for those who don't know, this is a Linux Fest held in Los Angeles, and it's one of the biggest Linux Fests out there. And we wanted something that would allow us to do our parkour. If you've not listened to the last episode, then you need to uh, do our parkour tricks at scale, along with maybe doing some Linuxy stuff and maybe taking pictures and video that we can upload to our channel with meeting Jill for the first time. So those are fans of Destination Linux as well, podcasts that we're all a part of. Then you need to, if you're not, then you need to go check that out because we're all going to meet for the first time there at scale. We've tried to convince Wendy to go as well, but she's refusing to this point, but we're still working on it. But the Insta360 has some really neat features. Obviously, it has beautiful 4K footage. It's very small and compact. You can take it anywhere with you. But also, there's some features that I was looking at that allow you to stream directly from this device, utilizing the app to YouTube and things, which will make, of course, this conference attendance and making people feel part of it with the things we want to record much, much easier to be able to do that without a laptop and some cables and all that other stuff and trying to get the interfaces to work. It's, of course, has the HDR. It's rugged and waterproof. It's got a really long battery life and you have the interchangeable lenses that you can get as well, which makes it even cooler. So there's so many great things about this little device. We couldn't just not pick it up after you talked about it on the show. So we've got it. I've been playing with it a little bit. I need to do more, some more stuff with the app itself, but it looks like it's just going to be a fantastic little camera. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm looking forward to playing with it myself, and I can't wait to show off the parkour skills. Absolutely. And we talked about this camera and Michael looked this up. Thank you for doing that. Hardware Addicts episode 58. So if you want to learn more about this camera, get Wendy's perspective on it. Check out Hardware Addicts episode 58. I can't wait to see the video and images that come out of this. Super excited. Very jealous. I'm going to leave it in auto mode, though. Blah. It's the only option anyways. I think that's the, yeah, I think that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that you're supposed to do is check out DigitalOcean. This episode of Hardware Addicts is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Because cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure, it really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. DigitalOcean also provides predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. With DigitalOcean, you can also get help with teams regardless of the size. Whether you are a team of one person or a team of a thousand people, DigitalOcean helps your team grow with their simple, powerful cloud computing services. And as a listener of the Hardware Addicts podcast and a member of the Tux Digital community, you can get started for free. In fact, it's even better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 free credit when you sign up at do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux 2022. So again, you can get a $100 free credit at DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform by going to do.co slash tux2022. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. 
So it seems no matter how much storage I buy, I still need more. In fact, it's like one of the biggest frustrations I've had with mobile devices and laptops alike is the pathetic amount of storage these devices seem to have by default. Have either of you seen this as well? It seems like they're going backwards in some cases because they want you to utilize their stupid cloud storage that I don't want. <laughs> yep. Phone storage is definitely an issue. Computer storage is a huge issue for me. I know that my big backup drive needs to be replaced again sometimes really, really soon because it's almost full. It's probably one of those things that I should go ahead and get a NAS for instead of just using a single drive. But at this point, 10 terabytes is no longer large enough and it's time to step up my game or just add a second drive in general. So yeah, I understand. Wow, 10 terabytes is a lot already. But yeah, that's if you need more than that, that's going to be uh, a, a NAS would probably be a good option because you can have multiple drives. And also, I can tell you that even with a NAS, not always enough because I have now run out of storage on my NAS. So I need to improve the one you uh, finally plugged in. It's been pl I've been using it for years. Yes, it was sitting on a shelf for like four months, but imagine it that isn't, it's that's not happening anymore. I've been using it for years and uh, I'm now pretty much at like. 85% usage of the NAS, so I need to get more drives and put it into there. And I'm also, I've already ordered a couple drives, and uh, there was some issues with the shipping, so I didn't get them yet, but I'm looking forward to it because storage is very important, and I'm constantly in need of it. So, yes. I was going to make that comment about you being constantly in need of more storage because, Wendy, I usually will get a message from Michael every quarter saying, hey, is this a good drive to buy? Is this a good drive to buy? <laughs> and it seems like it's every quarter on the dot. Like he always needs more storage. And it makes sense because of all the video content and everything that you're doing, the pictures, all of that stuff, you're always running out of space. But we're going to talk about something today that could fix all of that, except it's not going to fix any of the stuff we're talking about because it's more related to quantum computing. But it's still amazing. And sometime in the future... If quantum computing ever got to personal computing, it could fix our problem because what it can store is mind-blowing here. So really the beginning of this was just me to rant about storage because this technology's <laughs> otherworldly at this point. I guess all of us to rant point. about storage. Yeah, I really always want to rant about storage because it is a frustration for me. So the best part of this new discovery, this new breakthrough for storage woes is that it didn't even come from one of the big name storage companies out there. Rather, it was discovered by Adamant Namiki Precision Jewel Company. That's right, jewelers. Jewelers discovered this in Japan, who partnered with some researchers from Saga University, and they discovered a way to create a two inch, just two inches or 55 millimeters diamond disc intended for quantum computers it's the largest diamond storage device ever created capable of holding up to 25 exabytes of information. I bet Michael could fill it. <laughs> yes. Challenge accepted. <laughs> Michael, 25 exabytes is nearly enough to hold all of your selfies. Almost. Not quite. Almost. Almost. Close. I need at really least close. two of these diamond things in order to actually store all my selfies. So, yeah. I mean... You can never it's have too hair. many selfies. It That's is. True. The it hair takes up so, takes much, up so space. much space. Exactly. <laughs> 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 it 
it is one of the most difficult things to render in videos is hair, you know, when they're doing animations and things. So it makes sense that it takes up so much storage to get your capture your hair there. Every detail of it. <laughs> exactly. Well, another huge advantage, there is no super cooling gases required. This thing operates at room temperatures. And those who have been looking into the quantum computers out there and understand why this technology is kind of so far away from the consumers at this point, a lot of it has to do with the cooling requirements out there. there are many other facets as well, but that's one of the big constraints right now. So that now that we have a component, one of the critical components to having a computer, the storage that operates at room temperature, doesn't require these super cooling gases or being submerged or anything else. That's a huge, huge plus. Gets us that much closer to making this a reality. And an exabyte, by the way, is 1 billion gigabytes. That's a billion gigabytes or the equivalent to 1 billion Blu-ray discs of storage. That's a, uh, that's okay. Maybe that's enough for my selfies. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. But that's an insane number. You know, it's it's so much, it's hard to fathom. You can't comprehend it. Yeah. I don't know at what point we'll see this in our mobile devices, but I am so excited to finally not run out of space. But I don't think anybody would use it in mobile because they always want to sell you those stupid cloud services. They'll probably have an exabyte in the cloud service, but not in the consumer side. But it would be nice to not have to worry about storage for a long time if this technology ever made its way into the consumer market, which probably won't. Again, this is meant for quantum computing, but some of this stuff ends up creating other technologies that fall off of it. So just because this particular thing is made for quantum computers, sometimes these technologies can have things that spawn off that allow us to increase storage and things in other facets as well. If they wanted us to have large amounts of storage in mobile devices, they would have kept expandable storage. So I'm sorry, Ryan. I just don't see this coming. Dang, that's a good point, Wendy. Yeah. Expandable storage, losing expandable storage in mobile was one of the biggest tricks that were played on the consumer market out there. Just the, the idea that we accepted it to begin with is so frustrating. I held out for a long time. Long time. <laughs> So diamonds are the most likely candidate for memory and storage for quantum computers. So that's why they were working with diamonds here. It works by using a defect in the diamond known as the nitrogen vacancy center to store a quantum bit. The issues that they've always faced is that there's too much nitrogen in diamonds they were growing, which was disrupting the quantum storage capabilities when they've tried this with different methods in the past. Or if they got it pure enough, it was just way too small of a vacancy to store anything of any relevance. And traditional diamond wafers are made by growing the crystals on a substrate material, and that material is usually a flat surface. And what's unique about this and how they got around the problem is prior ones, the diamond can crack under strain, degrading the quality. This new process, this team made a relatively simple change. The substrate surface was shaped like steps instead, which spreads the strain horizontally, prevents the cracking, And this allows them to make larger diamond wafers with a much higher purity. And they're calling this diamond the Kenzen diamond. So next time you go to the jewelry store, you're looking to maybe get married (laughs) to your spouse, ask them to get you a Kenzen diamond. That's the one you want because later on you can use it for storage. You know, absolutely dual purpose. As they say, diamonds are a quantum computer's best friend. That was pretty good. Yeah, that's probably (laughs) one of your best ones ever. I have to give you that. Thank you. Thank you. Now, Wendy, as a geek, would you want a Kenzen diamond ring for a wedding band? I mean, I 
would want one personally. To be fair, I don't wear my wedding ring at all. It's not compatible with lifting. It's never been comfortable. And yeah. so I actually don't wear one anymore. But we could take this gorgeous diamond and make it so that I had all of that storage in my desktop computer. I'd be totally cool with that. That's where diamonds belong. Now, that's a new trend system. we should start. You propose with a Kenzen diamond hard drive. So you, it's it. not a ring or anything else. It's just something you put in your computer. That would be much Perfect. better. I like it. Agreed. Additionally, this isn't some fringe design that can only be produced once, which is really cool. Rather, this company says the wafers can be mass produced and they're expecting to even bring them to market in 2023. So a lot of times you hear about this type of technology and then you find out that it takes 18 years for them to actually produce one mock-up of it and the equipment that it costs are so expensive and outrageous, there's no way they can mass produce it. But this company is claiming they are ready to go into the mass market as starting in 2023, which would be quite incredible breakthrough, not only for quantum computing, which a lot of people make the jokes that, what is that joke? Uh, quantum computing is always one year from now or something like that. It's only a few years away every year. Every year, it's only a few years away. That's how it goes. Yes. And so a lot of people say that about quantum computing and they're not wrong, but we do have quantum computers out there that are functional. And we do have breakthroughs like this that are happening. And like I said, even if quantum computing never hit the consumer market, if it was never plausible, needed, necessary, or anything else, the technologies that spawn from this will find their way in one way or another into some of the consumer markets and we'll get newer technology we can play with because of that. And so it still excites me even thinking if we don't get quantum computers in my lifetime, that this technology is out there and they discovered this because there's all kinds of new ways that this can be utilized. And the fact that it was figured out by a jeweler is so fascinating to me for so many levels when you have companies spending billions of dollars in R&D to do something that a jeweler is just like, hey, let's just change the substrate and see if it'll make a difference. It makes <laughs> sense to go to someone who works with gems, like their business is gems. They specialize in diamonds and what they look like and how they react and knowing this diamond is going to do this thing just from the sheer amount of knowledge that they have in jewelry. It's kind of perfect that they are the ones that teamed up with this university in order to make this happen. I also think that because the technology is there, they've been trying to do this for so many years. That's probably part of the reason it's going to come to market so fast. There really wasn't new techniques or not necessarily techniques. There wasn't new equipment that needed to be made. They could use the same equipment, just do it in a different way or use it in a better way. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense that they would go to a jeweler for you know the expertise, like Wendy was saying, with gems or stones. And it's because, of course, it's not like they could contact Thanos anymore for the Infinity Stones. Oh, come on, Michael. Come on. That's what? not real. That's not real. How happen. dare you? You take one of your best <laughs> ones and follow it with one of your worst ones. <laughs> you got to have variety. Of, it's spice of life. Variety is the spice of life. Well, I know that there's an old saying out there that diamonds are a girl's best friend. But with this technology, diamonds are going to be everyone's best friend because I want diamond storage in my computer. I will accept nothing less. I want a Kenzen diamond in my machine as soon as they hit the market and quantum computers and all that other stuff. But I will be one of the first people to pick it up because I need that much storage 
I don't know why. I just need it. <laughs> Do you have any idea how much these are going to cost? Like, is this just a dream way out there? I can imagine these are pretty dang expensive. Well, the fact that they're growing these diamonds, this is not a natural diamond you have to find out there, would reduce the cost for sure. And it depends on how much they're going to have to produce or how much they can produce of these. Obviously, right now, there's no consumer market even being thought of in this case. Although, again, these things can sometimes stem into the consumer market and other variations. But I would imagine this wouldn't be as costly as some of the other technologies that we've seen to create storage in the past. And the fact, like you mentioned, that this is just kind of a new way of taking the substructure and designing while you're growing this diamond in a different way that it really shouldn't be that outrageous with those things factored. But then again, we know how those things go in technology. I mean, just look at the GPU market. You would think the GPUs are all made of natural diamonds with the costs they're asking for a lot of these things. So that's it. I hope you guys enjoyed this discussion on it. Let us know if you're interested in picking up one of these quantum storage devices, if they ever hit the consumer market, or if you know more about quantum computers and some of the storage practices they have, hit our discourse forums and let us know about that. You know, it's really interesting that you talked about having the the synthetic approach to do it. That's the, the best way they could make this happen. And I figured out why. It's because maybe all carbon doesn't want to be a diamond. Sometimes it's just pressured into it. Oh, Michael. Michael, Michael, Michael. Hey, Wendy, have you ever thought about just doing the show with me and you only? Yeah, sometimes I think it's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Where would we be without Michael and his yeah, we need Michael. good and we horrible need, jokes? We need those dad jokes. We need those dad exactly. jokes to break They're up necessary. these complex issues. Totally. <laughs> you may not be able to have your own quantum computer, but you can get Bitwarden. Bitwarden is a password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager as well as additional authentications, such as master passwords and adding phrasing to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. Say you want that premium account. It started just $10 per year. What comes with that? One gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator Storage and Generation, plus priority customer support. Make the smart move like many in the community have and go to bitwarden.com T-U-X to get started for free. If you're like me, though, you're going to want to show your appreciation to this awesome open source project and sign up for that premium edition that starts at just $10 per year. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. You know what I'm thinking? We could probably send this episode to Bitwarden and see if they could get their hands on some of this diamond storage because they could probably utilize that, you know? That'd All their be servers. Awesome. Yeah, we need to get some diamond storage over there on Bitwarden. So, Wendy... Take us over into the camera corner and tell us about camera maintenance. The biggest thing that you can do with camera maintenance is actually take care of your camera from the very beginning. Now, I know that can be hard, but don't store your cameras in moist environments. Have a proper case for them that's keeping the dust and whatnot off of them. And I know we're coming into summer, especially over here in the Western Hemisphere. It's getting nice. 
We want to go out, do stuff with our families. Don't leave your camera or your lenses sitting in a hot car. It's really not good for them, especially for your lenses. It's not as big of a deal as it used to be with the old manual focus lenses where they were greased. And if they were sitting in hot or human conditions, it would degrade that grease. So then they wouldn't slide like they're supposed to anymore. But the best thing you can do when it comes to camera maintenance is just take care of your camera from the beginning. Now, there are times when you have to do some maintenance on it. And this is one of those situations where I say, go find a professional. And that's if the sensor of your camera needs cleaned. They are incredibly delicate. Most cameras have a setting that helps you clean them. They'll do some vibrating or they'll move those mirrors up and down and they can get rid of some of the basics. But if you're noticing that there are spots that are staying there all the time on your images, regardless of whether you're changing lenses or not, that's dust directly on the camera sensor. Don't do that to yourself. Take it to a professional and have it cleaned. Now, what you can clean is the lenses of that camera body. And there's specific tools that you can pick up to help with that. Microfiber cloths are absolutely awesome if you have sunglasses, regular glasses. Chances are you already have some microfiber cloths around. They're awesome for cleaning lenses, but you don't want to use that right away. If you have larger specks of sand or dirt, if you go to just rubbing that on your lens, you can cause scratching, grooving in that. It's going to degrade the quality of lens especially taking off that coating that they come with that helps that light come so nicely, so pretty through the lens. So there's little blower bulbs is what you'll find and you can blow the air onto them, get some of those larger bits and pieces off, use a brush, they usually include one to get some of those larger chunks off and then you can go through and clean it with a microfiber cloth now, Wendy, does this include the back of the lens as well? Because I've always cleaned the front of my lens like you're talking, but I never touch the back of it, the part that would connect into the camera body. Ideally, you are covering up the back of that lens as soon as it comes off the camera. As in you are holding your camera upside down so that the opening of your camera body is facing down so you're not having dust fly into it from the top and then you're immediately capping that lens. But sometimes dirt dust does get on that and you can use that same method with the the brush to clean off that back lens. Most of the time if I'm seeing spots in an image, it's because there is dust particles on the front or the very back of it. Especially if we're out at my in-laws, we're out on the ranch, it's a lot more dirty out there. So you can use those same techniques for the back. If it's anything deeper than that, like especially on zoom lenses, dust can get further into those lenses. You could take them apart and clean them yourselves, but just like the camera body, I recommend taking them to a professional if there's any dirt deeper inside of there and have it professionally cleaned where they can put it back together the right way. There are so many intricacies that go into producing one of these lenses that while I love being able to take care of my own tech, this is one of those places where it's better to go to a professional, 
and have them clean it. So yes, clean the front and the back if you absolutely have to, but any deeper cleaning of a lens, take it to a professional. Now with a mirrorless camera body, is there less maintenance required in as far as having to worry about smudges and things potentially getting on those inside mirrors? Less maintenance, yes, as far as you have fewer moving parts. You don't have to worry about that mirror wearing down to where it's no longer working properly. And you just want to be making sure you're keeping an eye at it. How is it functioning? If you're getting a lot of dirt and dust in there, of course, you're going to wear down that function more. But if you're taking your camera body in to have it cleaned, this would be one of those great situations to be, hey, why don't you go ahead, check out the mirror function as well. What does that look like? What does the wear look like? I know they usually give a number of shutter estimates for when DSLRs or mirrored cameras in general die, but a lot of that really depends on how well you're taking care of it, how dirty is the environment. Dust is a major issue for me, but moisture isn't. I live in a desert. I live where it's very dusty, so that's something I have to be more careful of. If you're in a wetter environment, You may not have to worry so much about the grinding inside of that mirror movement, but it could be more damage to the boards and stuff over time just with that extra moisture in the electronics. So take it to your professional and have it looked at. It's really nice, especially if you take it in every couple years, whatnot. If you rely on it as a professional tool to make sure that It's just being regularly cleaned, whether it needs it or not. You know, that bath once a year for kids, whether they need it or not, you have to have it. It's that time. That's great to do with your camera. If you don't need it for your livelihood, I'd say just like we do with thermal paste, every three to five years, take it in and have it looked at. It'll make the lifetime of that camera lasts so much longer. So Wendy, looking online, I see there are a lot of kits being sold to clean your DSLR and Altura seems to be a company all over Amazon selling these. They're not very expensive, about $14. And it comes with a lot of the things you're talking about, a soft brush, a manual air blower cleaner that you can utilize, which is kind of nice. You're not buying the spray air and those type of things, which can create frost and other problems out there. And of course the microfiber cloth, but it also has some spray cleaner on there that comes in these kits. Is that something you've ever utilized? Do you think that's necessary to have that or would you save that? It's just just a glass cleaner. Okay. Yeah, it's just a glass cleaner. You wouldn't want to spray it directly on your lens. You'd want to spray it on the microfiber cloth and then clean the lens. But otherwise, yeah, they can definitely be beneficial. It's just like when you have glasses. I buy my glasses, my sunglasses with an extra coating that helps prevent oil from sticking to the lenses. But I'm busy, I'm cooking, you know, extra oils get on them. And sometimes the microfiber cloth alone doesn't cut it. And you have to use a glass cleaner. Now you don't want to use just any glass cleaner typically on the lenses. You want to use a safe one You don't want to degrade that coating that we talked about on your camera lenses. And the ones that will come typically in packages like this are pretty good. Altura is a pretty nice company. I have used their flashes before. I've had really good luck with them. 
And like you said, they're one of the options that aren't ultra expensive. It doesn't have to be super expensive. But yeah, that's where these different sprays can come in handy is when the microfiber cloth alone just won't get off what you need to. And I see that the spray that they're using is alcohol-free, ammonia-free, and things like that, just like you were talking about, so that it doesn't remove any of the coatings and stuff on the lenses, which is nice. Exactly. That's pretty much it when it comes to camera maintenance. Number one is always take good care of it from the beginning. If anything else needs to be done, work needs done, other maintenance needs done, take it to a professional and have it done. And if you're cleaning your lens yourself, be careful not to scratch it. Blow off those larger particles first, use a brush, get it wiped down, and then use a microfiber cloth if you absolutely have to, one of these optical cleaning solutions, and you'll be able to take awesome summer pictures. Very nice. And then the storage as well, making sure you're keeping it out of those moist areas like you mentioned in the beginning in a nice camera yep. case so it's not getting knocked around and broken that way. And by the way, the Insta360 is sitting on my kitchen countertop now, but it's supposed to be waterproof and durable, so I feel like I'm supposed to mistreat it a little bit because it's an action That's camera. That's <laughs> definitely a way more rugged camera than the cameras that we're typically talking about. You can take them into more extreme conditions, but if you want it to last the longest, probably not the kitchen counter. All right, fine. I'll move it after this episode. Well, that's it. Our 60th episode of Hardware Addicts is a wrap. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you your bi-weekly tech fix. And if you're not all lit up on tech yet, then be sure to check out all the great content on the Tux Digital Network. Head to tuxdigital.com to check out all the great podcasts and YouTube partners available. There is so much there to fill your brains with. Remember, there's no such thing as too much hardware. Learn build, innovate, and grow. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll see you next time for another Quantum Breakthrough episode of Hardware Addicts, where you always get diamond clarity.